0: Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Social Value, a podcast where we explore what creating value for society means and the practical ways you can go about creating it. My name's Sarah and my guests work in different areas of social value across public, private and third sector organisations, from public sector procurement to ESG and sustainability, social enterprise and impact measurement. I'll be asking them about their work and what they've learned and they will be sharing their tips and experience to help us all make our organisations better. Today I am talking to author and award-winning serial connector Susan McPherson. Really excited to have her on the podcast because I'm a huge fan. We'll be discussing the profound impact that her book The Lost Art of Connecting can have for organisations and their relationships with their stakeholders. With over 30 years experience in marketing and communications, Susan's expertise on social impact and network building delivers some real insight into the importance of growing meaningful connections. And as any social value practitioner will know, stakeholder engagement is a huge hugely important part of it. So this is one episode you do
1: not want to miss. It's wonderful to speak with you, Sarah. Thank you so very much. Oh, I'm so
0: excited. Can you talk a little bit about your work and what you do and just sort of introduce yourself
1: to people who might not be familiar with it? Well, my name is Susan McPherson. I run a B Corp certified boutique communications consultancy that only does impact communications. So we help corporations, foundations, NGOs, Social enterprises tell their stories to the audiences they want to reach, but they're the stories of impact. They're the stories of positive, progressive change. And so do you actually get involved with the bit that happens before they come to you with their story? Yes, probably 50 percent of the time. Ideally, that's a whole lot better because when you bring communication strategy into when the happening is happening, you can much more strategically plan out what the results will be that you want to see
0: do you ever find people come to you and they've done something and they think it's really great
1: (laughs) and you look at it and you think "Mm." yes and (laughs) it's awful to be the one that says there isn't there there you try to be as gentle as possible but then there are opportunities to help improve upon it but to be honest with you you have to have the action before you talk about it anyways and the action has to be real it has to be grounded it has to be meaningful That's what I say to people as well. It's like you can't create a reputation by talking about it.
0: You build a reputation by doing.
1: A thousand percent. And the consuming audience now is far more sophisticated than they were 20 years ago. And they'll figure it out very, very quickly.
0: Yeah. And then it'll be much worse for you than if you hadn't tried to do it in the first place. I think a lot of people don't realize as well, if you actually do the do (laughs) and do it
1: properly, You don't need to talk about it because other people will do the talking for you. Yes, except we're experiencing something in this country right now called green hushing because there is so much political ESG backlash. You have company C-suites, boards saying, oh, we need to just go dark and go quiet and not talk about the good things we're doing. And my fear is you're just basically, I don't know if you know the term kowtowing, but you're like ceding the floor to the people. And to me, now is the time to talk about the things. Because if we don't, we're going to lose all the importance of making this a priority, making sustainability, making ESG, making philanthropic endeavors public and showcase them, shout them to the roofs, as long as you're doing them.
0: Yeah, and actually that leads us nicely into the, the next thing which I wanted to ask you, which is the commercial benefits to companies. Because I think, would I be right in saying that somebody who who said that to you, who said, oh, you can't really talk about that now because people might think we're woke and they might criticise us. They are seeing it as something that's a kind of add-on rather than core to how their business operates. And can you talk a bit about that and what the commercial benefits are for companies are doing?
1: the commercial benefits are such that it helps with hiring and retention it helps with customer acquisition and partner creation you know increasingly when you know big tech companies are selling to other companies in the rfps it says what are you doing for society what are you doing to limit your carbon footprint what are you doing to help the communities in which you operate so to me You're missing all these opportunities by not stepping up. I think it would be very difficult to go all the way back to 20 years ago, and this wasn't even on the public agenda.
0: Do you still come across a lot of people who don't see the benefits, who do just think it is a box to take?
1: Not in my world. I mean, I realize they're out there, but recently I took a golf class and my golf instructor asked me what I did for a living. And I told him, and he said, oh, you're one of those woke people. And then I asked him what he meant. And when we kind of extrapolated and I was like, well, aren't you for like helping the communities, you know, where companies operate? And he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, so you're woke
0: too. Well, no, I had a really similar experience on LinkedIn. And it was, I can't remember what the post was. Somebody had posted something, some kind of net zero content. And somebody had commented on it and, and the person who commented on it was the small business owner, an American small business owner. And it was a UK thread. So it kind of stood out. And the American small business owner had kind of got very angry about Woke. And there were lots of capital letters and there were a lot of responses to this thread. But, you know, he was complaining about, you know, I'm a small business owner. This is really Woke. I give back to my community. I look after my staff. I don't need all this kind of whatever nonsense. And I think actually you are social value. <laughs> you, you, that's what it looks like, I'm afraid. You are You've just made his point for him, but this chap didn't really want to accept that the things that he thinks are woke are actually also the things that are, he believes in really strongly himself.
1: Fascinating. <laughs> so
0: it's, it's about treating people as human beings, isn't yes,
1: it? Yes. Yes. There's nothing woke or not woke about that. It's caring right. and compassion.
0: It's really Christian as well, you know, with a small C. It's just about behaving towards other people and we're ensuring that your business behaves towards all it's stakeholders is you'd want to be treated. Yeah. Anyway, so I'd love to talk about stakeholder engagement because obviously you're hugely experienced in this area. But I think a lot of people, when we talk about stakeholder engagement, people don't really understand what we mean by stakeholders.
1: I think of stakeholders as every single person that has access or is affected by the company, employees, shareholders, investors, partners boards of directors, and very importantly, the communities in which the organization operates.
0: Why are stakeholders important to businesses?
1: Without stakeholders, the organization wouldn't succeed.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think they give you your license to operate as well. So if you don't manage your stakeholders and create value for all your stakeholders, then your business is in trouble.
1: Thousand percent.
0: Yeah, there's an amazing book. Have you heard of a book called Grow the Pie?
1: no oh it's
0: brilliant amazing um economist called alex edmonds and he's just awesome and he basically talks about the idea of there's kind of two schools of thought you can either see the pie as finite so it's a fixed pie and you know you split it into lots of smaller bits for your different stakeholders but in order for one group of stakeholders to get a bigger slice of the pie somebody else has to get a smaller one And it's your kind of like traditional model where shareholders get all the value you know and this he says grow the pie and then we all get bigger slices
1: Ah, now now it's coming to me. Are you familiar with donut economics?
0: Yes, love it. Yeah,
1: Yeah. that's also something that I think is really, really valuable.
0: It's almost like a light bulb, isn't it? When you get it, you suddenly kind of go, oh, of course, it makes so much sense. Do you think, so stakeholders, really important to businesses, but do you think it's something that people struggle with engaging with them?
1: I mean, I think, you know, half a dozen of one, a dozen of other, whatever that old statement is, I think if you don't make it a priority, it's going to be challenging. And if you don't take consensus and keep them informed then you're missing opportunities yeah kind of my belief on it
0: because I think a lot of people though they don't know how to do that there isn't really a function within the company
1: you know 50 years ago I can understand why it would be difficult but today you send out an email for god's sakes you have internal systems you have slack you have yammer you have an internet, you have text you have whatsapp you have signal you have carrier pigeons, you know, there's no shortage of ways to communicate and keep people up to date. And you can ask them how best they want to be communicated with. Make it easy. Make it a priority. No, I love it. And your book, can we
0: talk about your book a bit called The Lost Art of Connecting? Can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Absolutely. It was written during the pandemic, although when many people see the title, they assume it was in response to the dramatic isolation so many of us felt but it actually was my company during the pandemic because writing it kept me company. It's all based on this notion that when we walk into rooms, whether they're virtual or you know conference rooms or dinner parties or convention halls, we lead with how we can be helpful to others as opposed to what can we get. And if you think about traditional networking and if you look up the definition of networking, it's very transactional and it's very much, what can I walk away with? And I instead say, what can I walk in with? What can I offer? What are the meaningful questions I can ask others to learn more about them so I can be supportive, so I can be suggesting interesting podcasts or newsletters or vacations they should take? It's really leading with thoughtfulness and compassion and very importantly, curiosity. It's also really powerful. Thank you. I mean, because it works. Look, there is a contention that I'm not taking the oxygen mask first because I'm you know, walking around and only supporting others and not supporting myself. But my contention is you actually support yourself when you support others because the good comes back. Yes, yeah. there's always going to be that one person who takes advantage. And thank goodness there's 10 billion people on this planet. You can find other people. Yeah,
0: you can curate your own, own world. But it does really work. And why I'm really excited about it is because am I right in thinking so you wrote the book for for individuals who are looking? Yes,
1: I've been doing a lot of book talks the last several months, because we are now living in very much of a hybrid world where, you know, a company's employees half may be in the office, half may not. And, Connection used to be kind of like a soft skill, right? It was relegated to the annual sales conference or the monthly happy hour. And now the realization is if you don't have a connected workforce, you're not going to have a successful productive workforce. So how do we use the power of connection and how do we ignite the desire to connect beyond your direct reports or the people within your function of a company to actually build a meaningful and authentic relationships across different silos and lead to better productivity, lead to more impact.
0: Yeah. And also a happier workforce as well, because that's, you know, one of a the big challenges, percent. isolation and loneliness caused by not having connections with other human beings throughout the working day.
1: A thousand percent.
0: Do you have the answer? <laughs>
1: No. <laughs> it's really hard, really hard. You know, there's a lot of research to back up that when people have friends at work, they are much more likely to stay and they're much more likely to recruit others to join the company.
0: Yeah. I think as well, I don't know if you would agree, it's one of those things that there's no shortcut to success. You know, it is labor intensive. It does take time and energy. You know, you can't automate it. <laughs> Do you not think there's a bit of a tendency now to, or let's just automate, make it more efficient? But I don't think you can do that with relationships and building connections?
1: I don't know. <laughs> it
0: doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have the success that you have if you apply your method, I would argue. And 100%. I'll say something's hard. It's worth doing.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Talk us quickly about your method. So the the gather, gather ask, is yeah.
1: yeah. Well, one thing I learned when you have a business book contract, you have to create a methodology, at least in the United States. I don't know if that exists in, in the UK or abroad, but I looked back at the last you know, 30 years of my professional career. And I did have a methodology. I just didn't quantify it in such a way. And the book is divided into three sections, gather, ask, do. The gather section is very much internally focused, looking at yourself and determining what are your superpowers. Because if the underlying notion is supporting and helping others, you need to know how you can do that. You also do a deep dive And connect with yourself, because inevitably, the most important person in the world is the person you're living inside of, if that makes sense. Also, within the gather phase, you assess who it is that you want to connect with or reconnect with that is going to ignite your career or your lives, and also how you can be helpful to others. And lastly, in gather, you think about very proactively How you're going to break that hermetically sealed bubble that so many of us live in, myself included, where we attract people who look like us, sound like us, the same race, color, and age as us. In the ask section, you learn how to ask the meaningful questions of others so you can learn what their hopes and dreams are, what their goals are. And if you listen carefully, which I learned quite a bit about how bad we are at listening, you can go to the do phase. And that's when you take all of what you heard, what you listened to, and then you're able to go and do, make connections, make introductions, send off things that are like, oh, Sarah, this made me think of you. Yeah, It's being present and following through.
0: And it is amazing, actually. So I've actually been... (laughs) been trying it out <laughs> when I read it it really resonated with me I was a bit like you I oh. thought oh, well I, I do a lot of that instinctively but I didn't know how to teach it or how to kind of it was a really useful framework when I started trying to actually apply the framework I realized I jump steps or I'm not very good at listening or I'm not very you know what I mean you sort of have to practice don't you, you have to kind of really work at doing it I've been using it in stake because I think it's really fantastic it's a fantastic approach to stakeholder engagement
1: oh. I am so I
0: I was talking to it was a really small business owner in the rural part of Scotland the other day and I was contacting them because I was trying to connect them to potential contract opportunities within the company that I was working for so I rang them to say I've got this contract opportunity I thought you might be interested and, Ah! and I make an appointment it's all fine but as I was talking to him I was thinking about your method and I thought oh I'm just gonna I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna ask him How his business is going, and has it moved on since I last spoke to him? And he started telling me about how he's he's got a new arm of his business, and he's invented an atomic tractor that's powered by hydrogen. (laughs) I was literally like,
1: "Oh my goodness!" wasn't
0: expecting it at all. And he's got funding from various public sector sources, and and he's working with Massey Ferguson. I don't know if you have that brand in America, a huge tractor brand, to create this atomic tractor which is just brilliant and so then I said well how can I help we don't oh. buy tractors I can't buy tractors but how can I help what do you need because I was thinking you know in the past I would probably have just said oh well that's nice <laughs> and, not, you know and then he said oh I don't know I'll have a think and I said well you know if you need some land to try the tractor out on or, or whatever give us a shout and it's things like that that I just wouldn't have thought of it like that and, and then had some of that amazing connections which have come out of it since
1: I love that. I can't even tell you how wonderful that is to hear. It's, honestly, <laughs> I, I have a few other examples, but the people
0: who they're about will definitely be listening, so I can't. <laughs> can't tell, <I'm> really <laughs> it's things like as well. You know, you talk about developing positive relationships through a thousand small touch points. People don't think about doing, but it's if you see an article about something that might interest a stakeholder, you share it with them. Ugh. Isn't it? And it's if you don't separate work so. I have another, I didn't use your method for this, but she's a community group that we work with. I've said to her, how are you? And she said, oh, having a nightmare trying to get access to the bank, because if you're a community organisation, it can be really hard to get bank access. And I know somebody who's really good at that. And I said, oh, well, my friend does this. I'll put you in contact. And it's those kinds of little things that I think make all the difference, don't they, to stakeholder relationships? A
1: thousand percent. And just being thoughtful. During the pandemic, you know, I live alone. I don't have parents. I don't have kids. I don't have a partner. And every morning I would reach out with whatever means was the easiest at the time to three or to five people. And they'd be simple little notes saying, thinking of you, sending love, or sometimes it was just, hey, don't forget about me. But when people ask me how I had time, I'm like, well, I had time to brush my teeth in the morning, right? So it's a muscle. You just want to, you know, and I'm not suggesting everybody does three to five, maybe one a week, but just do it.
0: Imagine how powerful that would be for a company if you reached out to your stakeholders once a week with a little thing that they might like. Because businesses have so many resources available to them. They have so much knowledge and such a platform that they can reach out on behalf of their stakeholders. And I often think that's a really underused resource almost. What do you think about that?
1: I think it's totally true. In fact, in the early 90s, when I ran a sales territory in Southern California in Orange County, this was pre-internet. I don't even think I had a computer, but once a month I would call everyone in my Rolodex. Oftentimes you would just get a gatekeeper. You know, I wasn't selling anything. I was just checking in to find out how things were and if they needed anything. And this was, you know, I must've been 26, 25, but it really kind of deeply embedded in me. Do
0: you find when you reach out to people, they, because they're not used to it, <laughs> they sort of wonder what the catch is.
1: Absolutely. And I've had people over the years, and even in high school, people accuse me of being too nice, that it was fake. Yeah. And you know what? Again, back to that, there's 10 billion people. If people are going to be that way, then you just have to walk.
0: Yeah. Well, and also, if if it makes you feel good, who cares? Right. <laughs> I was thinking, exactly. There's no such thing as too nice. I mean, you don't want to be a walkover and you don't want to be a pushover, but you can't be too nice. Well, no. it's not nice enough, in my opinion.
1: No. In fact, it's the opposite. There's been plenty of good that social media has unleashed, but this notion that you can say anything that you would never say to somebody in person is really detrimental. And we're seeing, you know, the harmfulness of this to young adults and to children who are coming of age. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. I just wanted to finish actually by asking about social value. So are you familiar with the way that we're using it in the UK in our contracts and our public sector contracts?
1: I am not
0: ah so in the uk in fact it's all nations so scottish northern Irish, welsh and westminster all have requirements of their government departments that when they put out public sector contracts to tender that they ask suppliers for social value so they say Ah. social value will you deliver through the delivery of this contract and it's mandated in in england it's a a minimum 10 percent of the score is given to social value so it's really powerful Is there anything like that in the U.S.? Is there anything, do federal governments do anything similar?
1: Federal government does. And, you know, I think I mentioned earlier in the conversation that, you know, the big four, PwC, you know, they require having, when they go ahead and do business, this notion of what is the client. For them to earn business from, say, a Microsoft or a Google, they have to showcase what they are doing from a supplier standpoint, from a carbon footprint standpoint. So, yes, I just don't know if there's an overarching name for it.
0: Yeah, because that's my feeling, too, is it is definitely something when I talk to people, it's definitely something that's a priority in the U.S. It's just they don't call it social value. You know, like you'll have veteran owned businesses is a big thing, isn't it? A minority owned and women owned.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And B Corp certified
0: is that increasingly being a requirement now is it
1: i don't know if it's a requirement it is a value add
0: yeah it's really hard to get as well that's a whole other conversation
1: yeah yeah
0: but thank well, you it's so, so nice to, um, much talk to you.
1: thank you and i hope to meet you in real life sarah
0: yeah well if you come over you let us know all right the last art of connecting by susan mcpherson we will put the link in the podcast episode thank you so much I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you to my guest today, Susan McPherson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Social Value. I'm Sarah Stone. The show was produced by Sam Tala and edited by Chris Keane. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this useful and you think other people will too, share the episode with your networks and consider leaving us a review. You can also reach out to us by email, hello at samtala.co.uk or find us on LinkedIn.